Now, love is a difficult thing to, to grasp, and so we have to, to, to work through the letters of John, John 1, uh, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. He writes, uh, he writes extensively about love. It's one of the themes in all of his letters. He, is, he, he, is, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loves. And we, in the Christian uh, history, church history, has always referred to him as the, the, the apostle of love. That's why we talk about John as the apostle of love. There's a great revelation of love. Now, love, when, I, when you tell me I love you and I say something that offends you and you no longer loves me, loves me. I don't just have a sinus problem, I have a vocabulary limitation tonight. If you tell me you love me and I say something and your love disappears, you never really loved me. And, and when it comes to God, I told you, and I'll tell you again tonight, that every single person in this room is loved by God. And if God loves you, you have to understand that when God loves, uh, we have this, we, we know this, or we are supposed to know this, that God loves us. But every now and then it's good to hear that God loves us. It's good to hear that God loves us. And when we, uh, when you, it's one of the things we should remind each other of, that remember Jesus loves you. But we forget that. And, it, and in our humanity, in our, in our state that we're in, it's easy to think that God loves us more or loves us less. So let me start off by saying that, that God loves every person in this room. He loved you before you loved him. God loves you. For God so loved the world, not for, so God, for God so loved the South Africans. For God so loved the world, not for God so loved, the, loved Israelites. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, not Christians. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. For God so loved the world. So God loves every single person in this room. Here's another thing. He doesn't love one of you more than the other. Just think about that. God doesn't start to love you. He loved you before you were made. He loves you, but he doesn't love any one of you more or less. Do you think there's levels to God's love for you? So if God loved you in past, in the past, and he loves you now, and at both time periods, your past and your present, God loves you equally, what can you do to increase it? Could you sing better tonight to increase the love God has for you? Could you sin less? To make God love you more. If you made less mistakes this week, would God's love increase? If you prayed more, do you think God's love will change? That's, it's, it's a thing. Just think, think with me for a minute. God loves you the same way he loved you yesterday and the day before. Nothing changed in the way that God loves you. When we get married, things happen in marriage that changes how we feel to one another but we're not supposed to stay with one another based on how we feel. It's good, I told you, to, to like what you love. It makes it easier. But like is not a prerequisite for love. And, 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 and in our flawed human state, it's easy to change how much we love somebody because we, we're different to God. We, we make different decisions and to the extent that we would want to love somebody, or lay down our lives, we make that decision daily with the people around us. And so, let's try and figure this out together. Is that okay? 
Open your Bibles in 1 John chapter number 3. We'll start there. You know what I like about 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John? It's short. So short I can't find them now. There we go. 1 John, imagine how you can lie to yourself. You can read 1 John in 30 seconds and go like, I read a whole chapter of the Bible today before you blinked. So we start in 1 John chapter number 3. And it says, behold. Now behold is quite a serious word. It's like behold, fathom. It's, 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 it's observe, pay attention, behold. So he spent, spent chapter 1 and chapter 2 talking about this, and he gets to chapter 3, and he says, Behold, this is important. Paul, uh, John is, is trying to get your attention to something. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. He says, for a moment, just pause and think what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Don't be so quick to take the love that God has for you and equate that to the kind of love you have for a girlfriend or ice cream. He says, stop for a minute and think. He says, behold, I mean, the, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who was and is and will ever be, the one who will never pass away, God. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. This amazing God loves you. That's something you need to stop and think about. You're one of about seven, seven billion people. How many billion are we now? Eight billion people. And in spite of that eight billion people, when I say that God loves you equally, we can say, okay, that's a very, if he loves everyone, I've become common. But he has the capacity to love you amongst eight billion people to a degree that is more than anyone could ever love anything in this world. So this God, he says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. He says, you should just think for a minute. What manner of love is this? It, it, it'll blow your mind when you stop and think what this means, that God loves you. That we should, this is the outflow of that love. That God, the creator of heaven and earth, loves you so much that his love has taken you from completely being cut off in the dark, separate from God, lost in your depravity, on your way to hell, that God stops in spite of you, regardless of your problems and issues, your dress code and the way you comb your hair, the sins you do and the sins you will do. In spite of that, he stops. And he begins to love you, not begins, he loves you. And that love revealed to you does something. He loves you so much that you get transformed from being lost to being a child of God. That, he says, behold, what manner of love is this? That he loves you so much that you change into a child of God. This is what he says, that we should be called children of God. He loves you so much, just for a minute think, that God loves you to the degree that you are now called a child of God. And in no part, and in no 
point in this transformation of being called a child of God where you play any part of it. That God looked at you, he said, you, you have some weird and wonderful likes and dislikes, you have some issues in your life, and in spite of you, I love you so much that you can be called a child of God and you, you can't change it, you can't do anything about it, you can merely accept the fact that I love you so much that I'll call you a child of God. So while you're on this planet living in Cineville, somebody literally online thought that when I use the word Cineville, it's a, it's a, a church word for people that's doing sin. They said, oh, Cineville is actually an actual suburb. It's not just something like church prison or something. <laughs> but you can stay in Cineville here in South Africa, be one of 8 billion people, and God loves you so much that He calls you a child of God. So whatever you're doing tonight and you're sitting here, you go like, I'm lonely. I'm 19 years old. Will I ever meet a husband? God loves you. You can go like, okay, yeah, this week I cheated on my maths exam. Who, who's done that? You're very honest <laughs> for a cheater. We should chat about how you lie. You're not good at it. This is not an AA meeting. Hello, X you on. I don't even know what I wanted to say about that. <laughs> In spite of what you did this week, God loves you and He loves you so much. You, he says, behold for a minute, what type of love is this? That because He loves you, you are now a child of God. So when God loves you, you get better, not worse. So the outcome of God's love is you become a child of God. You were lost, cut off from God, and now He loves you, you're a child of God. Now, now he, He's going somewhere with this because this is the nature of God. You can't be loved by God and be cut off from Him. He, it's, it's not like, I love you, but I won't do anything for you. Uh, and we, because we are so selfish in our own gathering together and storing of our finances, He says, I don't want to give anything to you because I'm going to call it tough love. Tough love, I won't help you out of a problem. Sometimes you need just tough love. Maybe that's an excuse to not really love. God's love is not tough love. His love is to the extent that He makes you a child of God. So, so John is working somewhere with this. He says, Behold, what manner of love is this that God has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God? It is the result of God's love is you're a child of God. You should marvel at the fact that when God loved you, you became a child of God. That's an important point. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. He then says to you, beloved. Now, he, he finishes verses two, and then he begins, beloved. Now that you know you're loved by God, he calls you beloved. Beloved, beloved. Now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed to us what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, beloved. So he says, behold, what manner of love is this? You are now a child of God. So now as a child of God, beloved. This is your title. We think that when we ascend in life and you become a CEO or you become a husband or a father, that gives you identity. Your identity is not in the title you occupy in your career. Your identity is in that word beloved. 
So when I mess up, I may lose the title of CEO, but I'm still beloved. When my friends leave me or backstab me or slander me, I might be a person that is rejected, but I'm loved. What you, you can take my finances and you can take my resources, but you cannot take the title beloved. When David was running from Saul and hiding in a cave, he was called the beloved of God. Because David could pen down the Psalms and write to God because he knew how he was loved by God and how he loved God. There, although he was thrown at his head, a spear was aimed at his head, although a person wanted to kill him and an army set chase after him. And although he felt rejected by everyone, he was beloved. Although the Pharisees hated Jesus, when he came up out of that water, he said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He is loved by the Father. It, is, it has become his identity. So when we put that verse up there for me, when it says, behold, what manner of love is this? You be called children of God. He says, beloved. Now we are children of God. I might not have all my finances and resources sorted out. I might not have my personality figured out. I might not have all my characteristics and ducks in a row, as we call it. All of that might be out of place and God loves me in spite of that. We are children of God. We don't know what will be one day when he is revealed, but when he is revealed, we'll be like him. We don't know even, we can't even begin to talk, talk about that. Go to verse, the next one. And everyone who has this hope in him, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now because God loves you, you are a child of God, you are a child of God, beloved of God, because you prize that more than you prize the car you drive. He says that begins to change who you are from your inside out. If you begin to purify yourself. That's what he says, whoever commits, uh, no, that's not what he says. And everyone who has this hope in him, that we'll be changed into his likeness when, we, when he is revealed, because we are his children, because we have this hope. Now, pause there for us, keep it up there. God loves you, you're a child of God, because you're a child of God, you have this hope that you'll be like Him. Because you'll be like Him, you begin to work on yourself. You begin to change yourself. It says, you purify yourself just as He is pure. Because you are loved by God, and you're going to look like God, because you're going to be changed into His likeness, we will be like Him. We begin to purify ourselves. So there's an outflow from love. So I'm getting to the point where you're supposed to love one another. God loves you. It changes your condition. God doesn't tell you I love you and you stay as you are. We just miss it because we think if God loves us, he should give me a car. If God loves me, he should give me a job. If God really loves me, he shouldn't want me to be lonely. That's what we think is what love is. We think it solves short-term problems. The problem God solves is the problem you don't even know you have. You think not having a car is the problem. Going to hell is a much bigger problem. Going to hell is a much bigger problem than not driving a polo or having a job or not meeting the right husband or not meeting the right wife. You think that would prove that God loves you if he gives you that thing? What God gave you, you, can't, you can get a car by studying. You can probably meet a husband by not wanting a 10 if you're a 7. 
And that's just free advice. <laughs> so he loves you. You become a child of God. And because you're a child of God, you want to be like your father. And you, when, you, when Jesus revealed, we'll be changing the, into that, which we don't know what that is. That's what that verse said. But because we have this hope, we begin to purify ourselves. So that we begin to stand out. I don't need to blow my nose again. Is this okay? I apologize. There's nothing I can do about it. All right. So we go on. I don't want to skip too much of John, but it's not working. What's happening? It's not working. Then he, he jumps in, in, in verses four, he talks about sin and the child of God. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness and, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he is manifested to, to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins is neither sees him nor knows him. Little children, do not deceive yourselves. He talks about sin. I don't want to talk about that. We jump to verse 10, the imperative of love. So he talks about love again. He says, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. In what? He talks about love again. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are made manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So he, he, he contrasts the two. He says, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. It's put in contrast, one next to the other. Binary, one on off. Children of God, not children of God. Children of the devil. Who does not practice righteousness is not of God. So, so it's not a license to remain sinful in your nature. In other words, you can't continuously do what you could, Because we are loved by God. We are made children of God. Because we see what He is, we want to be like Him. And so we begin to purify ourselves. He says it's impossible for you to stay where you are if you are loved by God and recognize that love. We, His children, begin to practice righteousness. If you don't, you're not of God. So you have to ask yourself, and He connects us, we think... That being a child of God means that we have behaviors that would increase this love. In other words, we are not working to be loved. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say. You're not working so that God would begin to love you. He can't begin to do what is already, already done. You're not doing sin today and then violating God's love and then God reduces His love so that we can balance the thing out. He loves you. If he loves you and you call his name, he responds immediately. We got that, right? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. You have to pause there. You can't tell me that you are a child of God. In other words, loved by God. You are loved by God, child of God. Because you're a child of God, you practice righteousness. If you practice righteousness, you love your brother. Love is, is connected to actions and deeds. When he says, love your brother, he doesn't tell, tell you, send them a text message and say, I love you. He doesn't imply, he doesn't say that. Because if you send me a text message and tell me I love you, it means nothing to me. Thank you. Did anything change? When God loved you, you became a child of God. You got better because God loved you. Now he, from that, he begins to tell you, love your brother. Is your brother getting better because you love him? 
No, we want to be loved. We want to be the benefactors of other people's love. We don't want them to benefit from our love. If you don't love your brother, you're not a child of God. Because God says, how can that be? How can, how can, how can it's, it's the story of the, the bitter and the sweet water. How can that come from the same spring? How can you confess to be a child of God, but you have trouble loving your brother? You look at him, you're upset, and you disqualify him because of what he's done, but you're not disqualified because of what you've done. I loved you before you did anything right. Now your brother messes up and you go like, I don't like him. I don't have to love him. God says, you don't have a choice in the matter. And so until you stop being you, literally, your old self, which is supposed to die, until you say, I'm sorry, I now choose to love you. And that manifests in the way that you greet the person, you hug the person, you help the person forward, you support the person. And, and that, until that happens, God says, let's pause everything. Because sort that out. No, but God, let's work on the other things first. Help me get rich first. God says, no, we'll pause that. Because not in the way that you get wealthy will they know that you are my disciples. But in the way that you love one another will they know that you are from me. The way that you love one another is a revelation to the world that you belong to God. So when somebody affronts you and you forgive them, that's a sign that God is in you. The other people that are not Christian, if you affront them, they want to kill you. They want to take you out. They want to destroy your career. They want to backstab you. They want to slander you. When Christians slander one another, is that a manifestation of love? When we find fault with other Christians because they don't think like you think, is that a manifestation of love? John has an issue with this. This is why he teaches us. He says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. This is the message you heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. The message we heard from the beginning is not get rich as Christian. The message we heard from the beginning is that we should love one another. Now, now the problem with that is, what do we think that looks like? Just think, because just think for a minute. Just, just close your eyes. What does it look like that you, you love your brother? What do you do? What do you do? When I ask you, how do you love your brother? What do you do for your brother? What does that look like? You greet them. Thanks. It's not enough. What does it look like when you love your brother? What does it look like when you love a brother in this church or in your small group? What does it begin to look like? You can open your eyes now. Don't fall asleep. That we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. Cain's brother brought a better offer. And so Cain said, I'll kill you for that. We go like, we will never do that. What if you, how happy are you for your brother that gets a promotion? How happy are you if a brother gets a prophecy that God says, I'm going to begin to use you? We feel that if God loves one and tells him, I love you, because God didn't say that to you, it means he doesn't love you as much. Or if somebody gets a ministry or a calling, we can't celebrate it because it tells me that I am less than that person. Cain, the issue with Cain is that he killed his brother instead of supporting his brother or learning from his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his 
works were evil and his brother's righteousness. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the, the world hates you, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. I knew that no murderer has, has eternal life abiding in him. He equates hating to murder. So if, if hate is murder, love should bring life. What, what changes when you, when you begin to love your brother? If, all right, let me just slowly finish this. Let's see. Verses 16, the outworking of love. By this we know love. By this we know love. By this we know love. How do we know what love is? Different translations uses different words there. By this we know love. See what NIV says about that first verse there? If it changes it. This is how we know what love is. Are you impressed that I knew that? Thank you. Chat GPT. It's not where I get my sermons. This is how we know what love is. What is love? What is love? This is how we know what love is. NRV translates that well. This is how we know what love is. If I ask you, love your brother, what is that? What does it mean when, when you say, I love my brother? Okay. This is how we know what love is. Go back to King James Version. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. It says the same. He laid down his life for us. This is not, we know, how we know what love is. That he laid down his life. If you say you love your brother, will you lay down your life for your brother? But when you make a decision, who benefits the most? If I love you in business, but I make money off of you, is it love or is it business? Don't confuse the two. If me and you enter, enter any relationship, but I'm the only one benefiting, is it really love? He says, this is how we know what love is. So you can test the degree with which you love one another by how you lay down your life. We are called to be servants, not served. Now, I, I question myself in this position. Am I in this church to be served? And now that I have a lot of people helping me do what I need to do. But ultimately, am I serving you as the church? Because if I'm, if I'm not serving you, I think it's upside down. My son is doing nothing for me. I do everything for him. So if I'm a spiritual father, it's not you helping me buy a car. It's me helping you buy a car. I'm not buying you a car. <laughs> There's no way that Rico's trying to help me get through school. I'm trying to get him to go through school because I'm the senior. I'm the father in the house. Why do we turn it upside down in spirituality? If you aspire to be an elder or a leader or an overseer, you're supposed to serve. You're supposed to be the stronger one that can give back. You don't become stronger because everybody's giving to you. Put that verse back up there. This is how I see it. People disagree all over. But this we know, love, because he has laid down his life for us. And we also need to lay down our lives. He literally says that in black and white. I'm not extrapolating and hoping that we get to this. It says that we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. So if you are, he's saying to you, God loved you. 
you became children of God. Because you become children of God, you work to purify yourselves and be more like him. If you are like him, you will love your brother. If you love your brother, you will lay down your life for your brother. So in other words, there is an outworking of you loving your brother. It's not turning away when, when your brother and you, this is why the you groups are so special in our church. Because it's easy to look after six people, but it's very difficult to look after 6,000 people. I'm not Jesus, I can't look after 6,000 people, but I can look after a couple of people that looks after a couple of people. But every you group, when you're in a you group and a you group member is committed and they're there and they don't have food to eat and you have food to eat, he talks about that, and you have food to eat, but you don't give your brother food to eat. Do you really love him? I love him, but I don't want to inconvenience myself. No, you don't love him, you like him. And as soon as the like now becomes an inconvenience, you can leave him. He says, if you love your brother, you'll lay down your life for your brother. Except my finances. I'll rather die than lay down my finances for my brother. Put that verse back up there. I'm going to finish talking through this. He, he deals with this thing. He goes on. He goes after it. He says, he lays down his life for us. We also lay down our lives for our brethren. But whoever has this world's goods, he puts it for us in black and white. You can't include any. It's in his grave. Whoever has this world's good, goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? How is the love of God in you and you see a need and you walk away? But pray for me. I want the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I want to be able to prophesy. God says, before you prophesy, learn how to love. No, prophecy is better. No, you want to not give up your goods. You don't want to surrender what you've worked for. This is not a nice message. I'm not a nice pastor tonight. I should have spoken to you about how gifted you are and how the world is waiting for your gift. But Jesus says, that's why 1 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about, I don't want you to be spiritual idiots. That's not the translation. That's... Pastor David's translation of the same thing. He says, I don't want you to be spiritually ignorant of these things. He begins to elaborate on the different gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then when he said all these things, which is nice, he says, chapter 12. If you don't have love, you're, and you have all prophecy, and you can prophesy dates and times and ID numbers, but you don't have love, you're a clinging symbol. You can call them out by name, and if you don't love them, you're just making a noise. I wonder how many, there are noisy Christians out there. They shout and scream. But they say nothing because they lack this thing called love. Before you get to how gifted you are on the platform in preaching, how gifted you are behind the piano, ask yourselves, do you love somebody? But if I have to give you my stuff and I have to look after your needs, I'll never stop fulfilling needs. This is our concern. John G. Lake, if I'm not mistaken, his wife died because of malnutrition. Because he would go buy groceries, walk past his lawn, see hungry people on the lawn, give them the groceries, and his wife would never get food. I don't think that's wise. I don't think that's what God means. But I do mean that if, you have a, if, if, if I have a sister that stays in Cape Town, and she can't come and visit my mom, and I, don't have, and I drive a nice car, like a Polo GTI or something, 
and I can't pay for an aeroplane ticket to get my sister to come and visit my mom. My question should be, do I even have God? Do I even have God? Yeah, but I'm collecting because my children, you see, it's in recession. Put that verse back up. You can, as a Christian, read that yourself. You all literate, right? Whoever has this world, he's not talking about love. Love is a, king th a kingdom thing. He's not talking about joy, happiness, goosebumps. He's talking about this world's goods, material things. And you see your brother in need and shuts up your heart from him. How does the love of God abide in you? As a young man, I was driving, and I'm not advising, this is not always God. Sometimes it's God, sometimes it's you. But I was driving, I bought a brand new jacket when I was a young man. And I had my first Edgar's account. I went, I bought a nice jacket. And it was cold outside. And I was driving my car down Bram Pretoria Street. And there was this dude walking in the cold. And, God, and I looked at him and I thought to myself, yo, it's cold. And God said, give him your jacket. I, go, I went, no, God, this is a brand new jacket. I haven't even worn it properly. God says, give him your jacket. So I turned around, drove back and gave him my jacket. Now, this has never happened again. Thank God I listened. Because if you don't, it'll happen over and over and over again. I went, I gave him my jacket. Guess what? I have a lot of jackets. I don't have a lack in jackets. I, at that time, I wasn't where I am now. I, had, I paid that jacket for six months. He was wearing that cozy jacket for six months while I was paying it. I'm thankful that I did. Because I still don't have any lack. Because of the grace of God. You cannot outgive God. Let's see what he says here. He says, my little children, there does not love in word and in tongue. He's saying, your confessions of love means nothing. Don't, leave, don't love in word and in tongue. Don't tell me you love me. But in deed and in truth. Next verse. You can read that. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Verse 20. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. And I want to skip that. Skip two verses from there. Beloved, and whatever we ask and receive of him because we keep his commandments, do not do these things that are pleasing in his sight. Verse 23. And this is his commandment. We should believe on the name of his son Jesus and love one another as he gave us this commandment. We should love one another. We should love one another. And this is the next one. Now he keeps his commandments, abides in him, and he is in him. By this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. You are not able to love anyone except that God first loved you, put his spirit in you, and empowered you to love. You are an answer to someone's need. If someone is in this room praying, God, I don't have food tonight, you think an angel is going to bring him manna from heaven? An angel will. His name is John and Peter and Sarah and whatever your name is, you're that angel. God will use you. God's going to use you. But you don't love enough to be used of God. You're waiting for God to come from heaven, pull you by the ear, say, help him now. Then you'll help. You, you need God to appear to you as God like, you need to help Peter eat. Then you'll do it. God says, I won't remind you of what I've put in scripture. That is your nature to do it. Before you knew God, how many of you had to think about cursing? 
Some of you still after you've met God and saved. That's autopilot, right? Now, because God is in you, it should be autopilot to love. It should be autopilot to care for someone. If you see a brother sitting in a corner upset, it's, it's different if a brother or a sister just wants attention. But if you're seeing a sister walk in and they're quiet and you don't know what's happening, find out. Go sit by them. If, if, if I see somebody at a party or anywhere since I was young and they're sitting there by themselves, I pull them in. I see them. I recognize. And I have an action that, that, that connects with my spirituality. There is a deed that follows the confession. I don't just tell them I love you but never greet you, never care for you. Sit there and just do your thing. If I see a need, I respond because it's my responsibility to God, he says in chapter 4, and I, I might continue with this next week. In chapter 4, he says, God is love. God is not wealth. God has wealth. God has angels. God is not an angel. God has stuff. God is not the stuff. But what God is in essence is love. That is what God is. is. He is love. Now that love is poured out into our hearts. We are now enabled to love. Something changes in us because God is in us. We have the capacity to love. That love is not just, I confess I love you. It leads to an action for God. So loved the world, he gave something. He says, you give yourself. By this, they will know that you are my disciples by the way you give. This is why giving is a problem to many people in the church. And they should question, why do I have a problem with giving if it's supposed to be my nature? I don't see anywhere in scripture that God promises you wealth. That's something you can achieve by studying hard and working hard. But God promises you that you are supposed, it is the essence of God. We should recognize that when I begin to love people, I'm showing them who God is. I got, <clears throat> you don't bribe people into the church. You love them. If they feel something here that is different, that pulls them in. Love is what changes a person's heart. You love them in spite of them. And by this, they will know that you are my disciples. Is that enough? Are you happy with that? We love one another. If I love you, I forgive you. If I love you, I don't have the right to have a problem with you. If I've done something wrong, I apologize and you forgive me. If you do something wrong, as a pastor, I'm supposed to forgive you in spite of you doing anything wrong. I don't wait for you to apologize and forgive you anyway. The moment you turn around and walk away, my heart should be soft towards you because I don't do that because I'm good. I do that because God is in my heart and he does the same to me. When we learn how to love one another, our problems will begin to disappear. If you know of a job opportunity for someone and you don't reach out and help someone connect that, you don't love enough. Imagine what we can do as a church if we begin to love people.